0: So chapter 14, beginning verse 6, um, <clears throat> if you think about it, kind of think about this contrast. The beast is Satan. He's the dragon, right? And then he's got his two agencies that work for him. One is more of the political beast. One is more of the spiritual beast. One, two, three. Thus we get his number 666, six, six, a trinity of what? Of evil. So in response to that trinity of evil comes three angels who are Really, gonna uh, give us this announcement. It's a contrast that's going on here in chapter 14. If Satan says, "I am, I'm in a battle, I'm in a war to win the souls of men," uh, God says, "Guess what? I am too, and I, I, I am at work through my Holy Spirit uh, today in the in the world and through my Word to redeem mankind." So these three angels uh, that we get to see are really proclaiming the victory. Uh, that we have through Jesus Christ. In verse number six, we uh, we saw the very first angel. Uh, remember his words uh, to us. I think good words. Fear God and give Him glory. Fear the fear of God is that sense that that uh, that that the the shepherds had when the angels first came. That sense that I am in the presence of a, of a God who is is holy. Give Him glory. Recognize that He's present. All right. Uh, in, in the in the last day, he comes he comes physically to be present, because the hour of judgment has come. And I always like that word judgment, crisis. Uh, for those who are outside of faith, I like to say, guess what? The hour of crisis. That's the the Greek word is crisis. The hour of crisis has come for you. Crisis meaning what? Judgment. The separating of those who have believed and those who have not believed. And so he says. As this day comes, uh, those who belong to Jesus Christ worship him who made heaven and the earth and the sea, and then this little kind of side note that we get there, and the springs of water. And remember, we we looked back at that reference in John's gospel uh, to what that means. Namely, God didn't just make stuff, he made people. And then he remakes us when he brings us back to life through faith right? Um, you know, you think about Nicodemus, who is the, the great teacher of the law, and he stands before, before Jesus Christ at nighttime and says, how can a man be saved? And he has all of this knowledge in his mind. And, and Jesus looks at him and points at his heart. He has all this knowledge in his mind. And Jesus looks at him and points to his heart. And he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he confounds this, this brilliant man. How can you be born again? Can a, man, can a man crawl back up into his, his mother's womb? No, no, Nicodemus. You must be born of water and the Spirit. Water. Springs of water. What does John teach us? That he didn't just make the land and the sea and the sky. He made us as human beings. And Colossians tells us that we were made for him. To live with him forever. And so he remakes us through the waters of baptism and that beautiful moment in our lives when he gives us faith. And so what, what the first angel is saying is the one who made all of it and then made human beings and then gave them faith so that we might live with him forever on a new earth. This is the one that we bow down and worship on the day of crisis, the judgment day. That's the voice of the first angel. The second angel we looked at last week Follows him, and remember his words are, "Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great." Right? Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. And we spent enough time on this last week. Remember that 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 word Babylon refers not simply to a geophysical, um, uh, political regime of old, but refers to what multiple regimes that will exist. And have existed from the time of, of Jesus Christ's birth to this very moment. And so we kind of drew an equal mark up here that Babylon the Great is kind of both of the beasts pulled together. It's uh, all of those agencies that Satan uses to bring people away from Jesus Christ. And so, in that moment of crisis, that judgment day, what does the second angel say? Fallen, fallen. The, the beast is conquered. Right. This is on the judgment day. The final victory cry is rendered. Um, I always think about this when we say the apostles creed. There's a phrase in it that a lot of people don't get. They don't understand. And in fact, in Texas more so than here, I would get you know people coming in and asking me about this phrase: descended into hell. Right. And and so I. I have people come out. They go, "Well, are you saying that Jesus went to hell?" And I'm saying, "What well, doesn't matter what I say? What I say matters not at all." But the Bible does say that Jesus went to hell. Yes, the Bible doesn't say Jesus went to hell. I said yes, it does. First Peter chapter three it says Jesus went to hell. And what did he do in hell? Well, he proclaims to those people that are in hell right? They're spirits. They're not physical entities now. They're souls in hell. He proclaims his victory to them. You've been overcome. You know, we talk about the two stages of Jesus's life, right? And and the, the first stage is his humiliation. He becomes a human being. He, he lowers himself. The second stage is the stage of exaltation, right? Where he is raised up. And it, if you think about it, his state of exaltation begins with that descent into hell and he proclaims victory over the devil and over over his, his schemes. Okay. Well, that final victory doesn't take place until when? The judgment day. When you get to hear this, this second angel cry out, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. All of the, all of the entities that Satan has used, the dragon himself, have fallen. And, and I like the way the devil is described here uh, and these entities, fallen as Babel the great, she who made all nations drink of the wine of passion of her, I don't like this translation, of her sexual immorality. Remember last week we, we kind of came to this, this word over here. Who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of pornea pornea right? Last week, we kind of circled that, that first half of that word, porn, right? When you think of porn, you think of what? Bad images, right? Okay, it's not, not in the Greek language. Pornea uh, has a broader meaning than that. It's referring to adultery, okay? Um, I get people say to me, well, yeah, I look at a little. I look at this porn. It's not that big, big a deal. I'm like, it's adultery. Like, oh no, no, it's not. I'm not hurting anybody. It's just it, nobody's hurt by it. It's like, oh, oh yeah, absolutely. You're being destroyed. And then people that you want to have relationships, those relationships will be destroyed because you're caught up in something that belongs to the dragon, right? Here, the term "porn" is used in its broadest sense to to refer to what spiritual adultery. Babylon the Great, the the goal of the dragon and his agencies are to do what? To cause you to to commit spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery isn't physical. It's when I I do what I trust in someone or something other other than God. It could be myself. I trust myself more than I trust God. It could be the government. It could be my money. Um, We make all kinds of things our idols. And when they become our idols, and Jesus is not that intim- intimate person in our lives, we're committing spiritual adultery. And he's saying the one that, that, that causes you to commit adultery has now fallen. All right? That's the second, second angel. Let's move on uh, this morning to, to verse number nine, the third angel. Another angel, a third one followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. Okay, let's stop there for a minute. This third angel comes. If anyone... All right, so the so the dragon has fallen. His agencies have fallen. Who Who else has fallen? All of those who who what have attached themselves to him who have worshiped him now when it says if anyone worships the beast and its image okay um kind of think about this with me when we're talking about we're not talking about people who are satan worshipers okay? if anyone worships the beast and its image but the term the term worship is what it's giving yourself over to Something or someone—that's the—that's the underlying uh, essence of the of the verb proskeneo that we translate worship. I give myself over to something or to someone. Okay, anyone who who worships the beast or its image. All right. So um, when, when I was a, a teenager, I became familiar with the Church of Satan kind of a big deal back in the 1970s and 1980s and um, you know you you would kind of hear about these people that would gather together and they would have these satanic worship services and uh, then i discovered that they had a a bible the satanic bible and of course my dad my dad was hilarious with these things he would say like my god luke you just don't don't read that don't read the satanic bible you know me i'm like well, I think I might read it. It's just kind of see, kind of see what's I want to see what's in it, you know. So um, I don't know if you've ever read any of the Satanic Bible or not, but here's the interesting thing about it: is um, people people in the Church of Satan uh, don't believe that there's a devil. They don't believe that a devil exists, and um, so they, there there is no devil and there is no hell in the satanic church. What they believe is that we are products of evolution, that we will live a life that will die and become dust, and that while we are alive, we ought to pursue our natural passions to their fullest. So if my natural passion is I love alcohol, get as much as you can. If my natural passion is I love sex, get as much as you can. So when they have worship sessions, what they're doing is coming together, agreeing with one another, hey, this is something that I would really like to pursue. And they really uplift each other in the pursuit of that. I, I didn't realize that. Okay? Um, so when the Bible talks about those who worship the beast, it's not talking about Satan worshipers or people who, who, um, who read the Satanic Bible. It's not anything like that. Although they would fit into this category. Why? What's it, what's it talking about? It's talking to anybody who just gives themselves over to something or someone other than God. All right? And what it's saying is if you, if that's you, that you've given yourself over to some something other than God and you've received a mark upon your forehead or your hand. We've talked about this. Not a physical mark. You're not going to get like a mark on your forehead or your hand. But what, what are those marks symbolize why did you get a mark on your forehead or your hand back in that day it, yeah it recognized you as what a slave right so if you bought me you 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 have the right now to put your mark on my forehead or upon my hand i your own i'm owned by you okay so what it's saying is those who've given themselves over to and who are really owned by satan all right what will happen to them they will drink Look at this. They will drink of the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. Hmm. I think the very first church that I served, that's kind of a fun church, Um, it was out in Wisconsin. How many of you ever heard of Iceberg, Wisconsin? It's actually Cedarburg, Wisconsin, but I nicknamed it Iceberg because it was... I mean, you were frozen. You're just. I mean, I meet people like, how, "How old are you?" I'm. I'm 50 years old. I'm like, "Now you're only 25. You've been been frozen half your life." I mean, so you, you get to live longer if you're on ice. But uh, yeah, um, out there, out there in was, out there in Wisconsin. I, I remember um, just kind of thinking a little bit about about uh, this day where we decided to have a talent show. And um, a group of guys came together. They said, "Hey, how about how about we form like a um, quartet, and we'll call ourselves Church was First Emmanuel Lutheran (FIL). We'll call ourselves the Philharmonics." I'm like, "I'm like, okay, I'll I'll be in that." And we had a director that really did have one of those handlebar mustaches that you wax. He had that, and uh, I remember he got us together. One of the first songs we got to sing was this. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Remember that song? Remember these words? He is trampling out the vengeance where the grapes of wrath are stored. You know where that comes from? Right here, the revelation. What the angel is saying is, you will now drink, you will now drink of the wine, right, of God's wrath. I want you to turn over to Psalm 75, and I want you just to see that this this idea of drinking of the wine of God's wrath was not a new thought for John when he heard the angel speak these words that those who have given themselves over to the beast who are enslaved to it will now drink of the wine of God's wrath. In Psalm 75, remember this is the Song Book of the Old Testament. And um, um, when it it was sung, it would be sung in the temple. We don't know the tune that it would be sung to. But it's a song, Psalm 75 is a song, that really pointed the Israelites forward to this day that the angel is talking about, this day of judgment. And just kind of listen to its words. We'll go through it quickly, but just listen to it. He says, we give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks for your name is near and we recount your wondrous deeds at the set time that I will appoint. I will judge with equity. When the earth totters in all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with a haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness, comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Now listen to these words, verse 8. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed. And he pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to its dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. This was not a new idea when John heard the angel say to those who who have become enslaved to, given themselves over to the dragon or its entities, they will now drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Here's how I like to think about that. Remember last week we said, what does wine stand for? Marriage. Right? In the Bible, whenever you hear wine, you think of what? A marriage between God and his people. When you look at the Bible, there's two marriages that are going to take place on Judgment Day. One is the marriage of God and those who belong to him. You and I who believe who believe in Jesus Christ come together and we are the bride and he is our groom. And that metaphor, that imagery, is used all the way throughout the Old and New Testament. It's beautiful imagery. Because it paints a picture of us as having an ongoing and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ for eternity. There's a second wedding. What is it? The one that the psalmist is singing about. The one that the angel is announcing. You're going to drink the wine of what? God's wrath. Because you've what? You've given yourself over to, you have become married to who? To Satan. And you will belong to him for eternity. Two marriages that take place on the great judgment day. One, we drink the wine of life, Jesus Christ himself. The other, you drink the wine of God's judgment and you are now connected to Satan and owned by him for the rest of eternity. So the words of the angel are meant to do what? To say to the Christian community two things. One is as the day comes, as you see the day approaching, and you see all these horrible things going on around you, recognize that the the day will come when, when there will be the execution of justice. What was the word the psalmist used with equity? Right now we say, where's their fairness? Where's their equity? There's not any. It's planet Earth. That's coming. What is God's justice? God's justice is the cross. Through the cross, I judge those who are guilty, not guilty. And through the cross, I judge those who have rejected Jesus Christ as guilty for eternity. Right? That's that's what's coming. And so what the angel is is trying to say to us is, the day is coming quickly. Now, what's the message to the church? Today, while you still have breath, while there's still sunlight, uh, there are those who do not know me who will drink of that cup. Go out, church. Go out, body. Take the gospel message out to those who do not know me because this day of judgment and wrath is coming. Um, what does it look like, this day of judgment? Keep reading. And I think, this is, I think this is actually pretty significant for the day and age we're living in. It says, And, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. I I just find those words interesting. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur. Um, First thing that I noticed that's kind of interesting to me is this verb basenizo that kind of points to this idea of he will be tormented. Two, two quick thoughts with bassinidzo. Um, there's, there's actually an English word that we get out of bassinidzo. You know what it is? You put a baby in it. A bassinet. And it goes like this, right? It rocks back and forth, just like that. So the idea underneath torment is bassinidzo. You are rocked back and forth closest story that i could come up with that maybe illustrates this to a small degree is um you know when when i was when i was a kid we used to go out to um a little place called port aransas spring breaks and uh fish and i love fishing off of the pier i'd fish off the pier and i'd catch the weirdest weirdest fish in the world i mean my dad throw that thing back luke Get rid of that thing. I mean, there were fish that bit you and fish that stung you. and I mean, just weird fish. Well, I would I'd keep noticing there'd be this boat that would go out. So I'm like, well, I can't, why don't we get on the boat? So my dad one day says, okay, we're going to pay some money and we're going to get on the boat. Because I, I mean, they would come back to shore. They would have like big fish, right? So we get on the boat. We get out into the thing and that boat is just going just like that. And I discovered something about myself. I remember saying to my dad, "We got to go back." He'd be like, "Oh no, this boat doesn't go back for like four hours." I'd be like, "Oh, four hours? I'm not gonna last four hours, right?" It was a war, like one of the worst four hours of your life. You're thinking, "Dear God, put me put me out of this misery." Well, that's the idea behind tormenting: is there there is no ending to it. There's no stopping. It continues on and on and on. The torment that is happening involves. Did you notice this? Fire and sulfur. And I think this is interesting, the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. Okay? It's one of the questions that people will ask. me. Well, first of all, one of the first questions people ask is, is there such a thing as hell? Is there a hell? Okay? And I I believe that we're living in a day and age where probably more so than ever before, um, church, religion has, in, in an increasing way, rejected the idea of hell. Okay? Um, thousands of churches across the United States today were you to, to just get down and dirty and ask the question, do you believe that there's a hell, would say no. We don't believe there's a hell. Um, it's been something that's almost been removed from the Scriptures, as though hell doesn't really exist. Uh, several authors go so far as to say, "You know what? What actually happens to you is, is you know, everybody ends up in in the good place." Uh, there are others who just say, "Well, no, there's just they're just hell is what happens to us here here on earth." But it's been rejected in the Bible. Hell is very real, and the picture that's painted always involves what fire, sulfur, and smoke go up, and you're tormented. Okay. So when somebody asks me, they're like, what do you really believe that there's a place like hell and people are going to be burning and they're going to be tormented forever? My answer is always, it doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what I say. All that matters is what Jesus Christ said. And I can tell you this with absolute certainty that Jesus Christ believes in hell. His heart is to rescue people from it. Well, now, why is there, how can a good God make hell? How can, I, how can a, a, a loving, kind, wonderful God make hell? Okay. Well, because he loves you. And he's kind and he's gracious and he's merciful. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I, of course it does. What God said is, I want to have this relationship with you. But in order to have relationship, think about this, guys. In order to have relationship, you must have the choice to walk away from me to not desire relationship with me it would i cannot say that god is good and gracious and merciful and loving if all he did was create people who automatically had to love him that wouldn't be a loving god what kind of a god is that i made robots they're my toys no he made human beings. And he said, I want to have an intimate relationship with you, but here's how that works. I'm giving you the power and the ability to walk away from me, to reject me, to say, I don't want you. And if you do that, listen to this. I will give you what you want for eternity. You want to ha- to be in a marriage with the beast? I give it to you for eternity. It's not what I wanted. It wasn't my desire. You chose that. You walked away from that. And so, yes, there is torment in hell for those who have walked away from him. Why? Because that, that is what Satan is subject to forever. You become a part of that when you become married to him. The heart of Jesus is to rescue people from that. He loves us. And as much as our world says, well, you can't tell me that a good and loving God would make hell, I'm like, absolutely I can. not Because it doesn't make sense otherwise. So that's the first question that I think a lot of people are asking in the church today. Is there such a thing as hell? Jesus absolutely teaches it and believes it and points to it. The second part of that is in the presence of the Lamb. Big question people ask is, if I'm in hell, can I see heaven? Do I know that I'm separated from God? Okay. No theological verse you can point to and say, well, yes, absolutely. But this verse and others like it point to the idea that in the presence of the Lamb, that yes, you, part of your separation, part of your torment is not just I'm in fire and pain, But guess what? I can see that I am separated from God. I know that I'm separated from God. I think that's the greater pain, to be honest with you. To know that I lived a life that I chose to become married to the beast and that I'm now separated from him, and I know it. I see it. And so no specific verse you can point to that that, that definitively answers the question. But verses like this point to the idea that, yes, in the presence of the angels and the Lamb, there is the there is the, are those who are being tormented, and then verse eleven says the smoke of their torment will go up, and the Greek word here I like is ionios ionios. Uh, we translate it forever and ever. Okay, and uh, you know we've talked about this plenty of time. That's God's watch. It doesn't have a whole lot on it, but that word ionios is is the word that it's it's the word that God uses to tell time right and so when he looks at when you say to god god what time is it he doesn't say well it's 10 whatever he says well there was a time now it's the time and then there's going to be the half a time and then there's going to be christmas day judgment day and then there's going to be ionios ionios time with time endless time eternity Right, and so that's what the, that's what the angel is crying out. He's saying their smoke and their torment will go on, Ionias, Ionias, without an ending of time, forever and ever, and they will have no rest. I like the word that's used here in the Greek. It's anapausan, and uh, we, the, right in the middle of it is the word that we get uh, our English term pause from. Right, ana means without anap. Anapausan, without a pause. All right, so the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have anaposan, no rest. There's no pause in it. There's no, could you just stop for one minute? Could you just give us a break? There's no pause in it. There's no rest in it. Day and night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. I think the biggest problem we have is... is Not only that people have rejected hell, the idea that there is a hell, um, but the idea that people can't get the essence of this. Um, I meet up with people all the time. I say, you're you're worshiping the beast. I'm not worshiping. You can't say I'm worshiping Satan. I'm like, yes, I can. Your, your, Your life, you've given yourself over to something that will destroy you forever and ever and ever. And Jesus Christ wants to set you free from it, okay? Probably one of the hardest people stories in my journey thus far involved an 8th um, grade confirmation student who I loved him to death um, who you, you just knew when he was like in 7th and 8th grade going to get into trouble. And, uh, in fact, the year of his confirmation, I, uh, I got him and I said, I'm going to make a deal with you. I want you to sit in the front row in confirmation. I want you to pay attention to the scriptures. I want you to read them. I don't want you goofing off because you're a leader in this class. I said, most of the time you lead people the wrong direction. Stop doing that. Lead them the right direction. Okay. Sat in the front row of that whole year. Started learning some scripture. Beautiful thing. Got into high school, got into fights, got into drugs. Pretty soon it wasn't just marijuana, it was meth. He got kicked out of every single high school in Lincoln, Nebraska. They sent him away to a a school to try to help him. He would come home from time to time. He'd come sit in my office. He'd say, can you give me some money? I'd say, no, you can't. You've given yourself over to meth. It's going to kill you. It'll destroy you. He uh, became an expert at taking radios out of cars. He told me, I can take a radio out of a car in 15 seconds. I'm like, that's awesome. You're ripping off people's radios, selling them to get your drugs. I'm like, that's really good. What do you think God thinks about that? I know, I know, Pastor, I know. Make a long story short, he he got himself into big trouble. He stole some heroin from another drug seller. Knock on his front door. One of his drug mates went downstairs, danced to answer the door, opened it up, pew, got killed on the spot. That guy walked up the stairs, looked at, at my confirmation student, pew, shot him, blew about half his side off. Said so he laid down on the ground. The guy stood over him and stuck the barrel in his face. And he yelled out, Don't shoot me. I'm already dead. And the guy pulled the trigger away from him and walked away. He lived. He had about 20 plus surgeries to repair that and they stuck him in jail. And every time I'd see him, I'd say, Josh, do you believe you were created for this? No, pastor. I said, no, you weren't weren't created for this, Josh. You're made by Jesus Christ to live with him forever. But... You have a choice. And I can tell you right now, Josh, I can't judge your heart, but it looks to me like you've given yourself over to something that's destroying you now, but now is not bad. Hell is bad. It's real. And um, I got to tell you, you know, that, that story is probably one of the worst stories. There's others. But there's got to be that heart inside of us that realizes that when the Bible's using this language, and it sounds kind of far out there, you know, sulfur and fire and smoke. It's talking about these people in our lives that we love. And um, today there may be someone in your life, in your family that you love, that right now if they were to die, this is describing their life forever and ever, Ionius, Ionius is to just pray for those people. Lift them up. That, that God might bring them to know him. Um, let's close out this section, and I want to have that prayer, because there's, there's a piece of this that I just love. The way that the angel ends this, he says, um, I, heard, I heard this voice from heaven saying, write this. Write this down, John. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Those words, um, Pastor Mike, um, Pastor Terry, you guys know, we use those at funerals. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their deeds do follow them. Now I want you just to, to, to watch this for just one second. That they may rest from their labors, Greek verb kapos, it's a cultivation term. Here's what, it, here's what it paints a picture of is that you may rest from your cultivating. The work we do on earth is that kid Josh I'm talking about, I can't make him believe. The people in your life that you love, you can't make them believe. You can cultivate. Paul said we plant the seeds and we water the seeds. God gives the growth. You can't cause an ear of corn to pop up You can plant the seed and water it. And so what he's saying is, blessed are those indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their cultivating. Okay? So until that day that you die, keep cultivating. Don't give up on anyone. Keep cultivating. Now here's the beautiful part. For their deeds, the word is ergos, follow them. A lot of A lot of people point to that and say, see, your works do matter because they follow you. I'm like, you're missing it. What is the product of kapas? What is your work? It's not a something. It's a someone. Guess what follows you into heaven? All that cultivating that you're doing, guess what follows you into heaven? Those who Jesus Christ brings into faith are the fruit of your labors. So Ray Bolts, if you know the name, um, crafted a beautiful song uh, some years ago that I think captured this better than anything else. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. And it just tells the story, right, of people that you meet and people that you know that you plant those seeds and you cultivate, and finally the Lord brings them to faith. And in that day of judgment... When the new earth begins, you'll look at them and say, they'll say, thank you. You'll say, for what? You, you don't know this, but you're cultivating. Let me hear. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. They can rest from their cultivating, and their works follow them. So I want to close by.